welcome to the Social Work Stories podcast. My name's Liz Murphy and way over yonder is Dr Min Fox. Hello Min. Hi Liz, hi everyone. I hope you're all well well out there. Yes, well we'll get to that and really I mean do people really care at the moment? But oh look I think the care factor in general is quite low out there in the world. I definitely here in New South Wales where we are uh, being in lockdown for this long is wearing hard, isn't it? I think we, it's only our Victorian friends who um, who are feeling the same, if not slightly worse than us. So, Oh, I'm sure our American friends will also be able to, and our English friends. Oh my gosh, that's our exactly Italian, right. That's exactly right. But our Malaysian you know, friends. Here we are on an island and I keep hearing about borders being open in different places in the world. And I think, gosh, here we are on this little, you know, island colony that once was. Yeah. Look, speaking about where we are. Yes. I just wanted to start by saying um, that I'm actually recording from Darawal country. And I just wanted to pay my respects to the elders past, present and emerging. And I also wanted to say um, hello and my deepest respects for uh, any First Nations listeners who are with us this evening and beyond, Mim. Yeah, thanks, Liz. It's, um, it's really nice to think about the like breadth of listeners that we have out there and that, you know, we're not just... Um, in conversation right now with uh, our Aboriginal colleagues and Torres Strait Islander colleagues, but actually with First Nations people around the globe, which is just beautiful. And on that upbeat, positive note, I'm going to keep on with that with that vibe and say, you know, in times of crisis, pandemic and changes, isn't it nice that we can come back to a really lovely social work story. This one is so sweet. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. And it like it is, even though there's an element of the pandemic in it, like it like, and that will come that will come out in the story. This is one of our sweet stories that do you know what, Mim? I wish that we actually had a TV series. When I listen to this story, I think, Bring on the little TV series of stories like this. And I, I think people will agree with me when they listen to it. You really want to be in this home visit with this social worker. Don't you reckon? Like it is oh, priceless. This, this story is social work in its purest form, really. Like it is the reason why we do social work. Um, uh, but the biggest question, Liz, of course, is who will play you in the TV series of the Social Work I'm Stories podcast? I'm playing myself. Like, oh. this is my, in my latter part of my life, why can't I kind of grow into, you know, leave social work behind and I can be Jackie Weaver. I love Jackie it. Weaver kind of I grew into the, 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 for our American and, and, and English and European and Malaysian friends. This is a great Australian actress that really came to her own in her 60s. Bring, why can't I? I really thought you were going to say Brene Brown. Um, and I, I personally, it's Selma Hayek for me, but that's fine. Like, you know, whoever, whoever, if you're a struggling actor out there and you think that you could play us in the TV series of Social Work Stories podcast, 
let us know. Not me, not me. I mean, my <laughs> whole social work degree has been about affording me to give up so that I can become an actor. So I love thank it. you very much. Mim and Justin and other social workers can be portrayed by someone else, but I am not. It's going to be part of the contract. I'm going to play myself. This is so fantastic. let's get back to this. This let's refocus. Oh, is our episode not about our TV uh, series list? No, it's not. It's not about redesigning my career. Um, <laughs> this is a priceless story about yes. a social worker who works in a transitional aged care program, and yes. for people who are kind of curious about what is transitional aged care program. Um, my sense is that it's a community-based aged care program that actually looks at ways at supporting an older person to remain as independently as possible at home. And look, to be honest, I think the way in which this, this social worker describes this case study, if you like, people will really get a strong sense of what a transitional aged care worker does. Don't you reckon? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It gives the layout for the aged care system that we're working within really well, which um, we'll discuss after the recording. Let's have a listen. I'm a social worker for the Transitional Aged Care Program in an area of Sydney with a high culturally and linguistically diverse community. It's a great program where we provide three months of support for clients in the home who may have had a fall and may need ongoing rehab, occupational therapy, physiotherapy and social work. It's a really broad job where we can do a lot of great work. Life doesn't stop when you turn 65, so clients often come to us and we are handling things like domestic violence, mental health, abuse of older persons, hoarding and squalor. It's really fascinating and every day is different. I received a referral from my manager basically saying that we had a client who was an older gentleman of Middle Eastern background who was a social admission at the hospital and coming on to the transitional aged care program. From what I could gather from my colleagues, the client was a social admission. His wife had died quite suddenly. She'd had a fall and presented to the hospital with quite serious injuries. The hospital placed him in a residential aged care facility for respite care as he had nothing medically wrong with him. And he had quite a traumatic experience in that residential aged care facility. After his wife died, he was brought back to say his goodbyes and he refused to return back to the residential aged care facility and he was accepted as a social admission. He was then accepted onto the transitional aged care program and my colleagues informed me that he was not engaging with their therapies and he had no goals. So then it became the responsibility of social work to provide a safe discharge plan for him. My manager had told me that he did have a level two home care package allocation that he could use. My manager was also telling me that he was still receiving his wife's, his deceased wife's pension. And um, he was really concerned about getting in trouble for that and needing that to be cancelled as soon as possible. I was told he was hearing impaired, but he was competent with text messaging. So I texted him and booked a time to go out. I went out to his home and there was no answer at the front door. I was calling him 
a lot. No answer. I was calling his nephew. He has no children. I was calling management. I was calling my colleagues. No one was picking up or could give me any guidance. Everyone who had previously visited him was on leave or having a day off that day. And eventually I did get onto the nephew and he told me, I'll just go through the front door. Like he'll probably just still be asleep. I have been working in community aged care for like 10 years now. I can name every single client whose door I have had to enter in anticipation of finding a dead body or something. Like it's the least favorite part of my job. So I prepare myself, the front door's unlocked, as the nephew says, and I walk in and I find him on the bed, just still. I make a noise and he startles and he just stands up and silently walks to the dining room and I just kind of follow him. So I knew that his hearing was bad, but I didn't realize it was as bad as he was saying, as bad as it was. His hearing aids were not operational and the amplifier that my colleague said he had, I could not find. And this client, he just hands me a pad and a paper and just tells me to write. And it's a few beats before I realize what he actually means. I'm just trying to talk to him and he's just pointing at the pad and paper saying, I can't hear you. I can't hear you. And I'm going, oh, okay. (laughs) So I write quite a short introduction to myself because I ended up spending about half an hour outside his house trying to figure out what I was doing. And I knew it was around 10.20 by this stage. I knew I needed to call Centrelink on this home visit. And if I didn't call them soon, I was never going to leave this client's house. So I was writing a quick introduction to myself and I went to call Centrelink, but I needed his client reference number. So I'm writing down like, do you have your wife's client reference number? And he just does not know what I'm talking about. And he's... (laughs) I'm like Centrelink, Centrelink, the number. And he's going, yeah, I need to cancel my wife's pension. So he's verbally feeding back to me after reading what I've written down. And he basically then eventually says, oh, you mean you want my pension card? (laughs) And I just thought, yes, the the simple thing. Yes, I I want to look at your pension card. So he hands me the pension card and I type in the client reference number and we're on hold to Centrelink. Then I start saying to him, we're on hold to Centrelink. And then I start showing him the paperwork on his desk from my age care saying like, I can help with this. And I basically wrote something along the lines of, I'm, I'm here to help organize help in the home. And I was not expecting this. He just screamed. He was screaming. He was pointing his finger, really agitated, saying, now let me get one thing clear. You're not putting me in respite care. The bastards, those bastards, you're never putting me back in there. And I'm just going, no, like I'm I'm shaking my head being like, no, no. And so then I'm writing down, no respite. I'm, I'm going to work hard to get you help in the home, like to keep you at home. And he just reads it and he goes, what do you mean working hard? You're not working hard. And I'm just going, ah. <laughs> so I'm writing no respite over and over again. He really isn't picking up what I'm putting down and I'm just feeling quite like I don't have the tools I need because he really wants me to write down flatly, I will never put him into care. 
and that's not a promise I can make at this stage. And he knows that working hard isn't the same thing as promising to do something. And I I did feel quite like all the phrases, almost like my political phrases that I use to promise I'll do everything in my power works quite well with a reassuring tone, but in black and white, the client could see right through me. <laughs> Keep in mind, I've got Centrelink hold music on in the background and now my manager has seen my missed calls and is trying to call me back while I'm on hold to Centrelink and I can't pick up the phone to her because I can't hang up on Centrelink. So I'm like hanging up on her and I'm trying to text her saying like, we're fine, we're fine. So it's getting chaotic. He doesn't know what I'm doing. He, at one stage, he actually, I'm trying to figure out a way to write down to him to reassure him while still not making any promises to him that I can't keep. So I'm really furiously writing down an explanation and he just is still screaming and he even screams at one stage, are you even listening to me? So then I go, okay, just put down the pad and paper, like let's eye contact, actively listen, all while wearing a mask, by the way. Let's sit, let's listen to him, let's nod. And then he like stops for a while and he looks at me and he just screams don't just nod and I'm going oh okay back to writing back to writing <laughs> so I'm scribbling down like so I've soon learned that he has trigger words and words like care and help for him mean residential aged care and help in a residential aged care facility so I then change tacts and say, write down, I am going to help you get showers, shopping, transport, cleaning in the house long term. I am here to organize shopping, showers, transport long term, long term. And then he just reads that and goes, yeah, well, that needs to happen. And I go, okay, okay, <laughs> we've got a goal. Okay. So right when he starts to settle down, and he seems to understand what I'm trying to do. Centrelink answers the phone. And then I realize that they're trying to go through their identifying questions and he can't hear Centrelink. <laughs> so I am writing down all of Centrelink's questions and passing the pattern paper to him. But he does seem to get stuck on if there are too many questions in one go, he'll just answer one of them and pass it back. And so it took a lot of backwards and forwards and I was very lucky that the person at Centrelink could trust that I was writing down exactly as I said I was writing down and listening to him and I wasn't being at all dishonest because the last thing I wanted to hear was that I had to drive him to a service centre in the middle of a pandemic to... <laughs> finish this so she understood she did everything she was amazing and I was basically writing like yep your wife's pension is now cancelled please let me know if anything happens and um I can follow up so I then I, I need to do some grief and loss counseling with him we're off the phone to Centrelink I just need to build that rapport I don't think I'm going to get anywhere with him unless he sees that he can trust me and talk to me. And that was also one of the referrals at the start for his wife. And I think I initially panic because I don't know how to do grief and loss counselling with a pad and paper. That wasn't what I was taught at university. Like we were barely taught grief and loss as a whole. But I scribble down, I reflect on basically what he told me 
about his horrible experience in that residential aged care facility, how they did not at all appreciate him asking questions about his wife and how he would constantly be asking for someone to call the hospital and no one ever did, about how they would laugh at him for asking for help. And I just remembered, like, I was just seeing a man who has lost his main support person and life partner and is all alone. And so I just wrote down, I'm sorry about your wife. She sounds like a beautiful person. And he just burst out into tears and said she was inside and out. And luckily I didn't have to write too much after that. I could get back to that active listening in a more appropriate setting. I could just make eye contact and nod and I could occasionally let him know that I knew it sucked and that it, yeah, it sucked. I think throughout all this it became quite clear to me that he felt so powerless and he was so aware of the amount of power I held over him as a social worker. And he knew I part of my assessment would be entering his home to see if he was coping and to make a discharge plan. And he needed to be sure that I knew that he wasn't going. He was just a man that had experienced so much loss and was fighting to stay at home. It became quite clear that he was prepared to die there. It didn't matter. He was would have been happy to have died that afternoon if it meant never going back to a residential aged care facility. And he explicitly told me that he would kill himself if he were to ever return or be told he was going to return. I had established that he didn't have a plan at present and I did establish that the intent was clearly based on his accommodation situation, but I believed him. Now, Clients like him need good, small home care package providers. There are a lot of really big players in the aged care space at present where you can't just text them. They won't put up with anyone who's a bit different from the nice old lady at home who's quote unquote cute. I needed a home care package provider that would see him as a human being and could be flexible in the communication methods um, when his hearing wasn't working. And I also needed a provider that wouldn't worry about his choice expletives that he <laughs> liked to use. I found this lovely provider that um, I'd had previous success with and we went out together and I, I did forget to warn them about care and help being trigger words. So the home care package coordinator did write down, I'm here to get you help in the home. And he went off right again with the, now let me tell you. <laughs> and I think I just was thinking, oh no, like maybe his cognition isn't as good as I thought, or like maybe, yeah, maybe he's forgotten everything. But he was just aware that this was a new player and he needed to make it clear again to anyone who came in and was going to promise to help him that that's not what he was about. So I warned the home care package provider, like, try and avoid these words, just really make it explicit what help it is, say shopping, showers, transport, house cleaning, and he'll understand and in that visit, when um, I got to do more just chatting with him while the home care package provider drew up all the paperwork. So he gave a lot more details on what life was like before when his wife was around, 
how hard it was for him in that aged care facility not knowing what was happening and how alone he really was. I explained to him that he could trust this person that um, would be taking over and that she was lovely and she would look after him. And I told him I wouldn't ever forget him and I don't think I will. Clients like him are often left behind by the system. They fall through the gaps. And without that home care package offer just happening to be there at that time, I don't know if I could have made a safe discharge plan for him. A lot of providers don't want to help someone like them. I often find the more complex a client, the more complicated advocacy I have to do to try and get people to see them as people. The neoliberal values that have been instilled in aged care since it was turned into a business, the amount of NGOs that just keep saying, we need to act like a business. They don't want to help anyone who doesn't have a lot of family. They don't want to help anyone who doesn't speak a lot of English. They don't want to help anyone who they need to change their strategies for. And there's so much competition that they can get away with doing it. So in order to get the help this client needed, he began advocating for himself. And because of that, he was seen as difficult, among other terms I've heard be used about him. We live in an age of society and they just see an old person who should be compliant, not a person who has lost his life partner, has been traumatised in an institution and is advocating effectively for the life that he wants moving forward. I was glad that I could finally discharge him knowing that he had the support he needed and he sent me a beautiful thank you text saying thank you for all your help. Okay, what were your first impressions? Oh Liz, I just love the passion of this social worker. I love the really clear social justice lens. I love that she is focused on finding the humanity within the man and the situation facing her. I just, I just love it. Love it. What about you? I love her tenacity. Like, yeah. You just imagine yourself on this home visit, right? There are so many opportunities for her to go, I'm not going into that house. <laughs> I'm not going in there. But yeah. the way in which she braced herself for, you know, the possibility of this particular gentleman not even being alive, I just, but I just love the, her tenacity, not just in that, but also in the way she was just trying to find the connection point, yeah. trying to work out what was going on for him. What was it about her practice or what she was doing that she needed to change to find that connection point with him? Yeah. So there were a couple of points there that actually took me right back to my home visiting days. So the first point was what you've just mentioned, which was that moment when you come up to the door and you don't know what's going to be behind it and you have to brace yourself for the potential that could be, right? That kind of take a deep breath, put on your professional face, in we go, right? Um, and then the other point was really struck home for me was the point where he starts yelling at her. Right. And you know how she describes that, how he's just yelling and she's trying to figure out how to apologize and how to psych, you know, wheel back and sort of go in reverse and start again. And, you know, like just that trying to that 
I mean, you know, now we know that that's reflection in action, right? But like actually trying to just change gears and figure out the best way to respond to what's happening around you in the moment. Just took me right back. <laughs> I, I don't know whether I have absolutely, I want to say absolutely been there, but I don't know if I've ever had to try so many different ways of connecting, both with the verbal, the yeah. non-verbal, the writing, the mask wearing, the connecting and trying to um, uh, communicate with Centrelink at the same time with this highly distressed man. Oh, it was breathtaking. And I loved her humour throughout it because you'd be wanting to... That's why I think we need to have a little TV series because you could just imagine this person in this setting just going, oh my God, what am I going to do now? What have I said now? I thought it was... Uh, yeah, beautiful. Yeah. And that she was able to have a bit of a giggle, but also able to empathise so deeply with this man who had had such a such a traumatic experience with losing his wife and not I being know. able to get there. And to see that throughout everything that's going on, right? And, you know, that heartbreaking, you know, call from him, do not send me back to respite, right? Like, do not do that to me. And like, and just her knowing that she couldn't actually promise that, but that she had to see what was happening for him underneath that, right? Like that's a real challenge of, um, of values, but also a kind of a faith in the role that you're there to play as well, is it just in knowing that you just have to hear what's being said verbally, but what's actually happening underneath those words as well. Right. Because absolutely, Mim, because, uh, you know, you could you could have just gone to, well, he just didn't like that particular residential care setting, whatever, but that it prevented him from being able to be bedside with his wife of God knows how many years. uh, Perhaps she said it would be, you know, but not to be able to be beside your partner as they're dying and then to have staff laughing at your no. distress yeah I wanted to burn that place down figuratively speaking everyone but I just thought where no wonder he was yelling and no wonder oh, he didn't I, I felt like yelling listening to her tell that story like I thought how utterly powerless he feels and how powerless she feels hearing that and I it made me think about how difficult it actually is often to be the witness to these sort of situations and these stories, Liz, and how, you know, like as social workers, we're coming at it from a social justice lens. So we're trained to see the problems in the system, to see the gaps, to see the need, right? But then often you're working in a system that is preventing you from speaking out. And that's really hard as well. And so she talked about different sorts of advocacy, but like that being, you know, in Australia, we call that being a whistleblower. Um, and you know where you're actually speaking out about the system that you're working in and that's a really difficult position actually to be in in practice really difficult yeah I I agree and I I think my my initial reaction was I wonder if she put in a complaint but then I think listening to you Mim I think you're probably right there would have been a a real tension around this is an organization that I've got an ongoing working relationship with but then I started to fantasise about, you know how we have reviews of, you know, we go to restaurants, we go to cafes and bring on the reviews for aged care services 
that you can actually look online and go, yeah, what are some of the residents actually saying about their experiences there before I agree to this social worker that I will go and do my six weeks respite there whilst I give the carers a break? I, I oh, just think, how do you know absolutely. this stuff? How do you get that that out in a way that people can vote with their feet and actually say, I'm not going there. Look what they've said in the reviews. Well, I've known... Liz, I've known many social workers over the years who will curate the list of nursing homes that they give families as options and just discreetly leave some off or put them at the bottom of the pile because they have heard different things over time, right? Mm. You know, like there's many ways in which social workers will enact their social justice, right? And without having to actually speak out against any any facilities or any situation. Um, but you know, we've had a Royal Commission on about residential aged care treatment in this country that's, you know, only just come out with recommendations. So actually I think there's a there's a lot of work to be done in that space about communicating about the different levels of care. Absolutely. Absolutely. And knowing that there are social workers like this particular person working in this field just uh, just reassures me in some regards because yeah. I also love the way in which she had to really think through the referral. Like it's like she had to choose a bespoke um, referral service yeah. that was going to cater to this particular gentleman. And I again that got under my skin. Not that it came to that. Oh, that it came. Didn't to... you want to? Didn't you want to kill that oh. that home care provider who said? We have to think about this as a business. Yeah. Like, oh, my God, come on. Really, really. I love that she's coming back to the humanity within the neoliberal system that she's working within. Yes, and, and treating this person as someone that we just want to ensure success. So, therefore, we're going to – and it would have been a lot of extra work for her. Oh. But like she was able to say, yeah, he wasn't the, you know, the, the quiet – little old woman who was going to acquiesce and agree to anything it was a guy who actually was saying and it shouldn't be like that either by the way but Liz Liz I want to challenge the notion that you've just said that yeah. he's going to be extra work I want to challenge that for a second because actually the extra work is the work yes. like this expectation that people need to be easy for us as workers is I think absolutely ludicrous. If people are easy, why are you there? Like surely the difficulty and the challenge and the creativity required to look at a person from different angles and work with them is the, the, the raison d'etre, right? It's, it's actually our mission statement. So I want to just, I have to challenge that. No, no, because I'm glad that you did. drives me crazy every time someone says something I'm like glad that, that I, I gave you leverage to get on your milk crate about that <laughs> I'm on the milk crate this time. You're on the milk crate, me. but so important what you said. And, and I think this particular social work embodies that in her practice with yeah. this particular person. And what you're saying is this should be practice for everyone. This, this is practice is, 101. Like this is actually, I, that's what I love most about this story is that it is pure social work, right? Here she is viewing a man in his holistic state. She is really coming back to what is it, it's client-centered practice, what is it that he is needing and wanting in his life right now? 
where is the crux of his emotional locus, like where is his sadness, where is the actual underlying reasons for why he is saying and being as he is right now. I love it. It's beautiful, beautiful social work practice. And I think we need more social workers like this in aged care. Oh, I really do. So is this, is this, our, is this our segue into encouraging social workers, social work students to once again to consider the richness of aged care social work? Yeah, I think, um, we, and, I think we do. And we've got to ensure that social workers are in that space to challenge yeah. this neoliberal business-only approach and because I know that you've had experience with, um, you know, social workers working in the aged care service where your dad was and yeah. and, and yeah. the richness and, and importance that that brought to it. So, you yeah, know, yeah, we've yeah. got lived experience with it. And we've also worked in aged care, by the way, love it myself. But. Yeah, look, and, you know, and I've had experience of actually this story in some ways where my dad called me one day and saying, you've got to get me out of this respite place, right? And I totally get it. Like there are many reasons why a facility will not work for a person at a given point in time, right? Absolutely, absolutely. It's about being able to see the person within the system. That's really what it is. Um, and look, Liz, I totally understand, you know, we have social work students who go through, they're 21 when they finish, 22 if you're lucky, right? It's hard when you're that age and we're in such a youth orientated society to actually think about working with people at the other end of the life spectrum, right? It is a jump, it's a leap. And I was there myself when I studied, aged care was absolutely the space I did not wanna go into. I did end up working in aged care for a bit, really enjoyed it. But I think the point is that actually looking beyond the context and the client group as a client group, as opposed to human beings and people, and having that social justice lens to realise why you're there in the first place, right? And also to realise, Liz, that our skills are so transferable. So just because you're working in aged care now does not mean you, will go, you won't go to another context, another client group, another organisational setting and be able to use the exact same skills, right? Because actually we're coming back to the base social work values, principles and skill base. It's transferable. Well, on that note. <laughs> Look, truly. I know I know that tonight I'm on the milk crate, which is why Selma will be able to Get play me so well in the TV series. Um, but, you know, like I think uh, this is important and I think it's, a, it's an important space for us to be singing the praises of. I really do. We're doing advocacy work right here, Liz, in this episode. True. And, and just for a minute there, I, I saw Sigourney Weaver actually. Um, in oh, a, yes. I, I, I just yes. came to me just in case. Sigourney but. could play me any day. Happy with that choice. Thank you. So I think we say a fond farewell to our listeners now. And we big... do. We do. And really hope that everyone's going okay out there. You know, um, COVID is taking many different forms around the world at different points as we keep going. The new normal is no longer a, a the, the old normal is no longer a possibility. It's a new normal, right? So um, we're wishing you all well and hoping that you're taking care of yourselves um, in whatever manner you need to right now.
And we're really happy if you want to reach out and send us an email. We've gotten some really beautiful messages from people oh, lately, Liz. Oh my goodness, I they've know. been heartwarming, some of the emails, and we respond. Wanna, we do, we always respond, and I want to really thank, really thank the, um, our beautiful American listeners who send us emails um, asking us to help them choose between different social work programs within the US. I love that you have faith in us that we are able to do that. Um, and it's always a really interesting uh, discussion for us to have with you on email. So feel free if you're sitting, contemplating something about your social work career um, to get in touch, send us uh, an email through our website or um, jump onto social media and, um, and let us know what's going on with you, what areas of practice you're interested in um, hearing from. And, um, and Liz, can you believe we're almost coming up to the end of the year? No, it's best if I don't go there. I just want to, I'll just get through today and then tomorrow and then the next day. That's it from, from me at the moment, Mim. Oh, yes. Fair enough, Liz. On that note, see you later, everyone. All the best. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Social Work Stories podcast. All of the stories we share are de-identified to respect and protect the people involved. We create this podcast because we're passionate about building the global social work community and strengthening our practice, no matter the context. If you want to help us grow the podcast tribe and continue the work that we do, we would love it if you can subscribe or follow the podcast in your favorite podcast app. That way you'll be sure to get every episode as soon as it's released. While you're in your podcast app, if you can leave us a five-star rating and a review, it would mean so much to us. You can connect with us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, where you can share our posts with your friends to help spread the word. And you can always find us at our home on the web, socialworkstories.com. The Social Work Stories podcast is made by Justin Stesch, Liz Murphy, and Dr. Mim Fox. Thanks so much for listening.